God is teaching us that we must imitate the love of God by loving others. We see in verses 18, 20, and 30, the author states that Jacob loved Rachel. This is a story of a man who is looking out for himself and attempting to find upward mobility through deceiving and scheming at the cost of others. It was safer to wonder if Jacob had any ability to love another at all. What about yourself? Do you ever think that you have that ability to love others? Are you someone who cares less about others and make those excuses of you don't have enough? Well, we saw this from Genesis 25, 18, 28, that Isaac loved Esau because of his game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. However, at the encouragement of Rebekah, Isaac sent Jacob away to Uncle Laban's house with a blessing, direction, and prayer. He says in Genesis 28 that he called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's brother, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you, uh, Isaac says, and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that, I gave, I, that God gave to Abraham. So this second time, Isaac pronounces a blessing over Jacob. Now the first time, he was deceived in doing so. But this second time, it is indeed out of love for him. As we saw in last week's sermon through Pastor Duke, God personally blessed Jacob and promised to him that he would be with him and that he will keep him wherever he goes and that he would indeed bring him back to the land, Genesis 28. So when God says, I am with you, I will keep you wherever you go, and I will fulfill my covenant commitment, friends, this is love. God is loving a deceitful man here. Do you know this love this morning? Has the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob visited upon your hearts? Have you been satisfied with the love of God in your life, or do you feel like God is just getting in the way of your progress? Are you convinced of this love for your heart? Are you compelled by it? Do you trust it today? God intends to love Jacob, you, myself, all of his people. And that from that love flows love to others. Therefore, God gives pursuing love. He gives perfecting love. And he gives persevering love. Let's look at this. Persevere, pursuing love. How does this pursuit of love unfold in this passage? Well, first, we have an invitation. After meeting Jacob, Uncle Laban says in verse 14, Surely you are bone, my flesh and my bones. Uncle Laban is excited. He sees that Jacob, even in his old age, has potential. 
He sings poetry, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We've heard that somewhere before. He's elaborating on it. Laban is Jacob's uncle. They belong to the same biological clan, close family. They're blood relatives. Laban's question seemed innocent enough, and it carries this theme of generosity. Like he's there to help him. And after staying with Laban for a whole month, perhaps, that was enough time for him to see Jacob's personality, his way of being with people, his likes and dislikes. He saw enough of Jacob's character to learn that, okay, I see, I can trust Jacob here. He's working hard. It was visible to everyone. He was pulling his own weight. Perhaps Laban learns of Jacob's true motives for being there. Even though Jacob was an older man, when he left home, he left all things behind. He didn't have servants close by or animals that he brought with him, perhaps. It just seems like Jacob was just out there by himself, not with much. So he was needy. He needed his kinsmen. He needed to work in order to live. And Laban knew all of these things. In verse 15, Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, shall you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? This seems to be that generous offer we're talking about, that Laban is saying this out of concern. As theologian Gordon Wenham put it, Laban's question sounds concerned and friendly, but the very mention of working and pay introduce a jarring note. It sounds friendly to offer one's destitute nephew wages, but should family relationships be reduced to commercial bargaining? Secondly, we have the evaluation in verses 16 through 17 of Laban's two daughters. Verse 16 says, now Laban had two daughters. And the spirit, you see what the spirit is doing here? He's taking our eyes to see the motives of Laban's heart. Through the question of wages, he has his mind on his two daughters. Leah is the oldest. Her name means cow or weary. And Rachel is the youngest. Her name means you, like you lamb. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. We don't know particularly what made Leah's eyes weak or what, what her persona was like, except in contrast to the form and the appearance of Rachel. Rachel. Younger sister Rachel was the total package, according to the beauty standards of this time, and Leah was not. You know, Krista and I, we lived with, uh, she lived with a group of sisters when we started dating. So upon learning that I liked Crystal, her roommate became upset. <laughs> she felt as if I should date her. I was not sure if she knew this, but I, I didn't see her that way. Uh, I wasn't interested in her that way. Um, I saw your friend, your brother, sister, that's it. When I valued my relationship with, we'll say her name, Kay, <laughs> she felt more like a sister. I remember the day I saw, I saw her after she learned about us dating. She was upset. And she said, I knew it. I knew you would choose her. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You would choose her over me. So it's highly likely, friends, that Laban knew Jacob loved Rachel. 
it would have been difficult to hide. So after what seems like a generous invitation and evaluation of Laban's two daughters, we have this resolution that comes. Jacob's pursuits of love lands on the resolution that locks in the bride price at a premium. In verse 18, we have here, uh, he says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob is blinded by love. He's awestruck, and the deceiver doesn't see Laban's true intentions. This must have come at a surprise to Laban, and it certainly shows that Jacob was desperate for Rachel. So Laban agrees by saying, well, it's better that I give her to you than, I, than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's resolved. Jacob is fulfilling his duty to marry one of Laban's daughters. Can you see Jacob being madly in love, even at a ripe old age? He goes about his duty swiftly, perhaps with every waking moment. He thinks of Rachel. He thinks of being with her. Anyone ever been in love out there? You know, or you love something so much, you just had to have it. You couldn't stay away from it. You wanted to be close to it. Even in relationship, glancing of the eyes to one another, people notice those things and, and ask questions like, is there something going on? <laughs> That's probably how it was for this time that he spent with him. But friends, what has your pursuit of love been like? Have you recognized that God has deposit, what God has deposited within your hearts, if you believe in him? God has, has more than a, he, he said, more than a blessing over us. He has promised himself, and he has delivered through Jesus. The invitation from the world for you to abide in selfishness and to pursue what you like without having regards for others it's not something that God wants for you. But the invitation to reciprocate his love is what God desires for you. Have you been doing such that? Deciding to follow Christ daily at all costs? When you wake up in the morning, when you go about your day, is he on your mind? Are you having fellowship with him regularly? Do you look forward to it? Are you giddy about it? When you come home at night, do you consider all the things that God has done throughout the day? Well, if you don't, don't worry, friend. God does. He has you in mind. He thinks of you often. And he will never let you go. So here we have God pursuing us in Christ. Even when we feel like walking away from the things of God, or walking away from the relationships that he has us in. God pursues us, and he teaches us how to earnestly pursue love. So God gave Jacob this pursuing love, and he gives him this perfecting love as well. So God's love is being perfected in Jacob. He's already giving him the blessing. Now he's working it out in his life. And in these following verses, there are two things that happen. So the bride price is re received. Verse 20 says, Jacob indeed served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, 
give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is complete. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Jacob's service was over. He wants to bring this engagement to an end. He was counting down the years, the months, the days to this very moment. They came quickly for him because of his love for her. They, this love carried him through. Now he's demanding, give me my wife. The time is up. I want to be with her forever and ever. Laban consented and brought the entire community together to celebrate this wedding week. That's how they did it. A wedding week of Jacob and Rachel. Perhaps Jacob would have been his, in his best attire, his best bridegroom attire. You know, a later description of bridegroom dress was compared to that of a priest being adorned in, in beauty. It says in Isaiah 61 that, uh, that, that this robe of righteousness, righteousness is what God covers us with as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as the bride adorns herself with her jewels. The bride price is received, and the feast commences, but in the evening, the bridegroom is deceived. Jacob spent his entire life waiting for the love of his life. When he finally found her, he did not have to scheme for her, a scheme his way through life any longer, maybe he thought. All of his focus, all of his attention would go to Rachel. No doubt the feast was a great celebration. The, the, the meaning of the word feast here in this passage is more like a, a drinking feast, you know, a party. That's what it was. It doesn't say whether or not he had too much to drink or not, or not but he may, he may have. But he was indeed intoxicated, friends, for seven years with love. He trusted Laban. There he is doing his duty. And so while his heart was veiled by love, veiled by Laban's schemes, and veiled by the darkness of the night, Jacob was deceived. All of his life, he wanted the one true love. And each time he sought after love to make it happen, it was lived the next morning. Through the grasping of the heel of his brother, it was Leah. At the stealing of Esau's birthright, it was Leah. When he deceitfully stole the blessing of the firstborn, it was Leah. Behold, it was Leah. Because Laban, in the evening, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And the next morning, he was surprised. <laughs> no refund now. The deed is done. <laughs> Imagine what he must have felt like. Heartbroken, distraught, embarrassed, humiliated, humbled. The same word for deceived here is the same word that Esau used when Jacob stole the blessing from Isaac. Jacob must have been cut to the heart not only because of his humiliating moment, but because of the conviction of carrying out the same type of deceiving and conniving actions on his family members. He trusted Laban. He trusted Laban. 
and Laban doesn't let up here. Laban states that uh, around here, you know, uh, the marriage customers are, are a little different. <laughs> but we see that Laban should have mentioned this in the original agree- agreement, right? But he didn't. Usually in an agreement like this, the families come together and they would decide the terms of the arrangement. If that was the case, that could have been protest from Jacob. That could have been demands for a breach of contract. It seems that this deal was made between Jacob and Laban, one deceiver to the next, in secret, and through a one-on-one conversation. That's how it is with deception. It's had in secret. And the contours of your heart is towards that which is done in secret. Two fools trusting one another in secret. One out to get the other in this, in this case. Laban exploits Jacob's love for Rachel and tricks him into marrying Leah, his oldest daughter. Imagine how Rachel and Leah must have felt. Oh my goodness. It's like, what is dad's doing? This is crazy. When Crystal and I um, lived in St. Louis, we would visit Washington, D.C. for Christmas holidays. I kind of, I miss those days. Man, kidless, life was perfect. <laughs> we stayed with our relatives in the area, and, and one time we spent the night with our extended family uh, at the National Harbor. And we stayed in this oversized um, it's a hotel room, but it was more like an oversized condo, you know. All the bedrooms were big and spacious, enough that two queen-size beds could fit in the room. And we stayed in that room with her parents. And so, as usual, you know, Christmas vacation, I stay up with her dad. He loves movies. He likes to watch movies until the wee hours, so I'm trying to hang with him. And finally, we turned off the TV, and we went to bed. I got into bed with Crystal. He got into bed with his wife. And he said, Crystal? <laughs> and I would already laid down by that point. I was so tired. I didn't care. But he got into bed with Crystal. He said, Crystal? And we switched up. <laughs> Man, the, the, the hair wraps didn't help us that night. <laughs> we were deceived. <laughs> there was enough light coming through the windows that he could see that it was crystal. We quickly switched. (laughs) Woo, that was a close one. Through the light of his love, friends, through the light of his love, God discloses our sin and shortcomings to us. He brings to our minds how we have wronged others. This is called conviction of sin. We were found guilty, and, and we're, we're convinced of our sinfulness. This is God's grace to us when he does this. God loves us too deeply to allow us to remain in our sin and in our imperfections. God disciplines the, the, his sons and, and daughters in love. He delights in us. He's the gardener that prunes every branch that bears fruit in Christ that it may bear even more fruits. Pastor and theologian Ray Ortland states of this, deep in our timid hearts 
is a desire to be loved mildly, nothing more. That way, we retain control. We set the terms. We avoid the risk. Our loving God in his ferocious intensity, we have, we have none of it. He defines the meaning of our lives, and we are saved from the anemic loves and brought by degrees into intense love like his own. In your life, is God turning up the heat of the furnace of your afflictions? This is not hatred towards you, friends. Contrary to the devil's schemes, contrary to his deceitfulness, God is not disappointed in you if you fall into them. God has not left you. He has been close to you, very close to you in your medical conditions. He has been with you through the night when you have been up worrying about in a perfect family life or in perfect drama happening in your family. Regardless of relational drama, he does not name you as a nag or tag you as a failure. He delights in you as son and daughter. And nothing will separate you from this love that is in Christ Jesus. Like Christ, we learn love through obedience, through suffering. Obedience to our Heavenly Father in our time of intense, challenging life circumstances is God's, is our love to God. That's how we love him. Through the most crucible times of our lives, we hold on to him and we don't let go because he's holding on to us. Everything in us wants to let go at times, but God would never let us go. John, uh, 1 John 4 says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us. God gives us pursuing love. He gives us perfecting love. And last, lastly, he gives us persevering love. Laban perseveres in his scheme. He encourages Jacob to complete the wedding week with this one. Even the way that he speaks of his daughters, he's speaking of them as if they are property to be bartered. Laban was someone who was scheming all along because he said we, someone else was scheming with him. He, he, he includes someone else here. He said, we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob completes the wedding week with Leah and Laban gave him Rachel to be his wife as well. In verses 24 and 29, there's this mention of the maidservant, the female servants of Leah and Rachel, Zilpah and Bilhah. We'll learn more about them and their role in Jacob's life in the weeks to come. But finally, after persevering through a nightmare, Jacob is married to the wife of his dreams. Wait, 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 wait. Somebody, someone may be asking, them, uh, like, isn't this polygamy right here? Well, God commands through Leviticus 18, that we not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. It is clear that polygamy, from the Bible, it's clear that polygamy 
is a sin and unlawful. And through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Matthew 5, Mark 10, Ephesians 5, marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what we learn biblically. So what's happening here in Jacob's situation? Well, in God's providential love, friends, he is allowing it to bring about his redemptive purposes. As Paul teaches us in Romans 3, all sinners, all sinners are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God, making us holy. He does this by Jesus' blood on the cross, and it is to be, re- be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over formal, former sins. The text doesn't, so we have here this mystery of God, of how he's bringing something good out of something that is a terrible situation, a dark situation. How God is bringing about his redemptive purposes to his people and satisfying the requirements that they would, make, they would be made holy like he is holy. So the text doesn't mention that the next seven years of, of uh, serving Laban for Rachel went by so quickly as they first did, the first seven years. And of course, we have Jacob loving Rachel more than Leah. With Leah, he is reminded not just of Laban's dishonesty, but of his own. You know, I've been uh, following uh, Deion Sanders' life <laughs> past uh, month or so, and I came across this clip. Um, it was a clip of Deion Sanders' Pro Bowl acceptance speech, and uh, it was incredible, actually. He shared about how much football taught him, how to be a man, he said, how to be disciplined, how to carry himself as a person, how to be educated, and so forth. He then added that he made a decision during his formative years that one day he was going to be rich and his mother would never have to work another day in her life. Dion went on and shared for the first time to his mother and to the audience of millions that were watching that he was among one or two kids that were a part of, uh, one or two kids that were African-American that was part of his youth football team. One of the kids on that team one day came up to him. And that kid said, I saw your mother at the hospital. She was pushing a cart. And he began to ridicule him and mock him for his mother's employment. You see, his, his mother uh, was a custodian at the hospital. And Dion felt a deep sense of shame because of this. And that was his motivation from moving forward and saying that she would never work again a day in her life. I will make sure of it. He, t- he persevered in his football career. And he made a public persona called Primetime that people love. And Dion reflect on the fact that he will work hard on rehearsing catchphrases in the mirror so that when he was on in front of the cameras, he was on, he was spectacular. He would persevere, that he would shine. Maybe this is some of you. 
Maybe you've had to persevere through a shameful, shameful situation in your early life situation. Maybe you made a vow that you would never be poor, that you would never be without, that others would not see you as less than. Maybe you have erected an image that is hard to shake now because it feels too good for you to let it go, to give over everything to God. The grip has you. It's a grip of pride that's around your neck. It may be a grip of pride around your hands and your feet that keeping you from moving forward and abiding in God. Perhaps you have been deceived like many people and during your younger years by your classmates and you hid in shame and maybe you still are hiding in shame, afraid of people, just want to just let them pass by. Or maybe you're someone who puts up that mask, that persona. Maybe you have your own persona here at church. Maybe you have that one at work. Switching up who you are in the different arenas of your life. Like Jacob, friends, maybe some of you are tired of running. Wouldn't it be great to deeply commit in love? Wouldn't it be great to come home to love every day, a love that would never let you go? Friends, Jesus is that love. Jesus is the bridegroom of love. Jesus imitates the Father's love and love his own. He pursues a bride who is unlovely. She is not beautiful in form and appearance. She does not want to love him. She does not want anything to do with him at times. Jesus gives himself up as the bridegroom of love for her, that he may make her radiant and holy. Jesus perfects her in love. He cleanses her by the washing of the word of God. He places his spirit in her that she may look like him. He will present her to himself in splendor at the end. She will not have not one ounce of spot or wrinkle or anything or any blemish. She will be holy. She will be radiant. She will be his bride, beautiful, perfect bride. Jesus perseveres by being obedient to the Father. All the way to the cross, he dies for our sin so that we can be beautiful, radiant, and like him. And so our responsibility is to walk in this love, is to accept this love, is to receive this love with every ounce of our being. As Brian Chapel states, love in Scripture is never defined as taking advantage of another's care, abusing their trust, or imposing on their generosity. If we knowingly continue in flagrant wrong under the presumption, it won't matter because God always forgives his children. We must question our commitment to him. There is no human assurance that his love covers us when there is no evidence of our love for him. It will behoove us to march forward in this love. Jacob is learning this love, learning how to imitate God in his love. God bless him for such a thing. Because God has made this pronouncement from the beginning to end. I will never leave you. I will be with you. You will be mine. I will be your God. You will be my people. 
And at the end, in Revelation, we see this bride coming down from heaven to the new earth, adorned with all beauty and splendor, ready for the bridegroom to be received with his love. Friends, let us walk in that love as we walk in this earth, knowing that Christ is with us everywhere we go. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. You are love exceedingly. Thank you for teaching us how to love you and love one another. Thank you for never letting us go. In your name we pray. Amen.